0: Hello, and welcome back to Bad Apple. I'm Helen. And I'm Riley. And today, we bring you another story from back in time. Back in time. Not too far. Well, I guess it is a bit far these days. That's like a, nearly 100 years ago. Yeah, like eighty. a, a good 80. Yeah. In the past century, mm-hmm. the specific time period we are going to speak of is World War II. Mm-hmm. During World War II, many major cities would undergo nighttime blackouts in order to be less visible from the air and therefore less likely targets for air raids. Some cities which were less likely to be targeted were able to have slightly more lighting. This was known as a brownout and was the case in Melbourne, Australia. While the brownout settings had shrouded Melbourne's usually vibrant lifestyle and darkness, recently arrived US soldiers had bought new cultural experiences chocolate bars, nylon stockings, and jazz music. However, when three women were found beaten and strangled within the space of 15 days, authorities began to wonder whether the US had brought something else with them. Had they perhaps brought with them a serial killer? The war in the Pacific in the early 40s can be traced back to an original disagreement between the United States and Japan. After a series of US trading embargo with Japan in response to recent Japanese war offensives, including the Nanjing Massacre, relations between Japan and the US had deteriorated. In late 1941, a series of proposals and counter-proposals were presented in an attempt to prevent a war. But after Japan launched an attack on the American fleet at Pearl Harbor and invaded Thailand, the United Kingdom, United States, China and Australia all officially declared war on Japan. After this official declaration, more than a quarter of a million American troops were stationed in Australia. The Australian armed forces had always been part of the allied forces in World War II. However, when war broke out in the Pacific, holding territory in Australia became far more important because of the geographical advantages. Don't bother with New Zealand, though. Too far. A bit too far. A little bit too far.
1: And yeah, there's not... What are you going to... I guess you could have some boats down there. Lots of
0: ports and things. Hide a bunch of submarines between us. That's
1: so true. Fun fact, there was an alleged plan to hand over some Australian territory to Japan if the war got too bad. True. And it was called the Brisbane Line and the country was kind of separated into, there was like this northern region that included Queensland and the Northern Territory and that was just going to get handed over. But it's a bit of a conspiracy whether or not that's actually true. Oh, really? Yeah. But there's these like... There's these things called tank traps, I'm not sure what they are, that are in Tenterfield. And people use those as evidence that we were planning on just handing over this northern part and keeping like all the important kind of agricultural (laughs) stuff in the south. So hard to describe this situation without roasting what we were gonna give over (laughs) and Queensland. Look, there's not a lot going on up there. (laughs) There's not. I'm from Queensland. <laughs> yeah. I'm from Queensland, and I've never been to the NT, but I imagine it's largely the same. But like for those of you who have no Australian geographical knowledge, like me,
0: that's a pretty big part of Australia. Mm-hmm. That's almost like half. Yeah, it'd be a good third.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So it's a huge chunk. And I guess it does have a lot of um, good ports. And Darwin was obviously quite a big military area in World War Two. So you know, it might have been a pretty good deal. Okay, but very speculative whether that was actually true. Yeah. I also think like dividing
0: Australia in half for the rest of foreseeable time is a hilarious concept.
1: It wasn't a very long-term plan, was it? <laughs> no, and
0: it's like so big. yeah you know Like smaller countries, like smaller plots of land. Mm-hmm. Sure
1: divided. Yeah. But Australia is like floating in the middle of
0: nowhere. You couldn't monitor <laughs> split that border it in
1: half. <laughs> yeah there would just be too many opportunities for people to move between the two. Anyway, yeah, we digress. That's a side note.
0: On February second, nineteen forty two, the United States Fifty Second Signal Battalion arrived in Melbourne just after war was officially declared. These troops helped to construct a military base in Royal Park, in the suburb of Parkville, close to the Melbourne CBD. Um we actually used to live across from that park.
1: Yeah. How spooky. So close to home. Yeah. It has such a extensive history. Yeah. It has had so many uses Who over time. Thought? So interesting. Not time to go into it now, but check it out if you used to live around there as well.
0: The park was named Camp Pell, in honor of the first American pilot killed in active service in Australia, Major Floyd J. Pell. The camp consisted mainly of pyramid tents and corrugated iron huts. The large influx of US soldiers in Melbourne was exciting. They spoke differently, they liked different music, and with many Australian men overseas as part of the war effort, they were very popular with Australian women. And also some Australian men. Yeah. But that would be a horribly
1: taboo subject of the time. At the time, very taboo.
0: With many Australian men enlisting into the armed forces, it also meant that opportunities were opening up for women in the workplace. Many women relocated from regional Victoria to take up positions in the busy Melbourne CBD. Here, they came in contact with the US soldiers daily. In corner stores, libraries, post offices, and in bars. While this was exciting for many women... It also placed them in dangerous new situations as they navigated life in the city.
1: These new dangers that women faced were realised just three months after the US troops arrived. On May 3, 1942, Ivy McLeod was found dead in Albert Park, an inner suburb of Melbourne. Ivy was a 40-year-old woman, reinventing herself after a recent separation from her husband. She had been beaten and strangled, stripped half-naked and arranged into a degrading position. She was still in possession of her purse and all its contents, ruling out the possibility that it was a robbery. Still, Ivy's murder was initially thought to be a random attack. This assumption changed just six days later, on May 9th, when 31-year-old Pauline Thompson was found on the steps of her apartment building in Spring Street, in the centre of Melbourne. Pauline had also been strangled. A talented singer, she had come to Melbourne to perform for the troops stationed there, Witnesses last saw her in the company of a young man with an American accent. Police suspicions immediately turned to the US troops at Camp Pell. The suggestion that it would be an American responsible for these violent crimes sent a wave of panic across the city. Women had a newfound sense of independence in the workforce, but this was diminished by a violent threat that was lurking in the night. After Pauline's murder was discovered, media outlets dubbed the potential serial killer the Brown Out Strangler taking the name from the eerie wartime light restrictions. Women were probably naturally fearful of being unaccompanied on a dark night, and the possibility of an unknown killer lurking in the darkness only compounded this fear. The suspicions of investigators were all but confirmed only nine days later, when the body of 40-year-old librarian Gladys Hosking was found just 350 metres from her boarding house in Royal Park, close to Camp Pell. Gladys had been walking home from work at the chemistry library at the University of Melbourne on the night she was attacked. Another young woman in the area that night reported to police that she had been approached by a young American man covered in mud who had asked her for directions. The description she gave matched the description of the man who was seen with singer Pauline Thompson on the night of her death, as well as descriptions given by other women who had survived similar attacks in the area. Police now knew that they were looking for a US soldier stationed at Camp Pell, but they needed to narrow down the thousands of troops Fortunately, they had received another tip-off from a woman who had gone to police in Sydney. A young woman who lived in St Kilda with her husband had travelled to Sydney for a trip. We'll call her Mrs B. The night before Mrs B and her husband left for Sydney, she had been on her way home when a US soldier asked her for directions to another suburb. She gave him the directions and, noting that she was going the same way, began to walk with him along the road towards her home. As they walked, the American men commented on how charming he found the people in Melbourne. As she approached her front door, he thanked her profusely for her help, and as she put the key in the door, she thought how well-mannered the young man was, presuming he was now continuing along the road towards the tram. However, as Mrs. B opened the door, she was pushed from behind, falling to the floor. The man began to choke her, and she briefly lost consciousness. When she woke, she was lying in her doorway. The soldier that had walked her home was standing above her, naked from the waist up, attempting to remove his pants. She crawled through the dark to open her front door and screamed as loudly as she could. A man that was across the road heard Mrs. B and began running towards the house. The soldier slammed the door shut, grabbed his coat and cap, and then opened the door and ran down the street. However, in his haste, he hadn't collected his singlet, which had been embroidered with the initials E.L., Mrs. B and her husband didn't report anything initially, but after hearing of the murders in Melbourne and that the suspect was a US soldier, they went to the police in Sydney. These details were crucial in narrowing down the group of potential suspects. I know the culture was probably quite different and there was probably a reason why they didn't say anything initially, but that's so interesting. That is a pretty violent crime not to report. Exactly. I wonder if they were worried about, like... Appearance? Yeah, like oh, she was unaccompanied at night, you are her husband, you should have... But that's so silly.
0: Or maybe, like, they're trying to accuse an American soldier, they're here to protect us. Mm. I don't know.
1: Yeah. Or maybe because there was a war going on. That's true. Things like that probably just flew under the radar. Possibly. Maybe.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Another woman also came forward to tell of her experience after the media had reported that police suspected an American. She also remained anonymous, so we'll call her Miss A. Miss A had been approached by a soldier at an ice skating rink. He had asked her to skate with him, but she declined. Unknown to Miss A, this was not the last interaction she would have with this man. He followed her home from the rink, catching the same tram as her, and followed her down to the street she lived on. He caught up with her in the street, put his arm around her neck, and said to her, I was going to kill a girl tonight. You might as well be the one, while tightening his grip. Miss A managed to scream out and someone ran to her aid, scaring her attacker off into the darkness. With the descriptions they were given and the initials, police had a good idea of the identity of the brownout strangler and organised a lineup to confirm their suspicions. Both Mrs B and Miss A picked out the same man, 24-year-old Private Edward Joseph Leonski. Leonski had a baby face, blonde hair, blue eyes and a friendly smile. His appearance was neat and well-groomed, and he was of medium height and well-built. To be honest, he kind of looks like if you just Google imaged American soldier.
1: Yeah, he really, do- he really is a bit stock image American soldier vibes.
0: Yeah, but kind of on the cute side. Yeah, more like, less- I'm here to
1: protect you unless I'm here to kill you. Yeah,
0: less macho. Yeah. Is that the
1: word? Yeah, I guess so. Yeah. Something like that. Definitely not the kind of guy that you would think would kill you. No, he presented very
0: well. Yeah. Yeah. When police searched Leonsky's tent, they found distinctive yellow clay, linking him to the scene of Gladys Hosking's murder. Realizing he had no way out, Leonsky confessed to the crimes of the brownout strangler, but offered little insight into his motivations behind the killings. But once investigators delved into Eddie's past, it became clear that he was a troubled young man. Eddie Leonsky was born in 1917 into an abusive and alcoholic household with a family history of mental illness. He was born in New Jersey and was the sixth child of Russian Jewish immigrants. Many Jews fled the anti Semitic regime in Russia in the early 20th century, and the US was a popular place to settle. However, life wasn't easy for Jewish immigrants. There was a rise in nativist sentiment in the US and calls for the government to restrict immigration in order to prioritize the needs of native inhabitants. Bit rich.
1: From a settlement colony? Native. Native. Fine. Okay.
0: Immigration quotas were soon established, and Jewish leaders urged their communities to assimilate into American culture. While this aided many immigrants in establishing a new community, those with lower education levels struggled to assimilate and fell through the cracks of the social fabric, as was likely the case for Leonsky’s family. As a young boy, Leonsky’s mother was overprotective and controlling. He was bullied by the other kids in his neighborhood for being a mummy’s boy. This coupled with his tumultuous family life, grew into a deep resentment for his mother and for women generally, and an overwhelming desire to obtain the approval of other men. As an adult, Leonsky became an alcoholic. He was physically strong and had been a bodybuilder and boxer before being enlisted into the armed forces. Proving this strength to his male peers seemed to be an obsession for Leonsky. He would get drunk and show off, entertaining those around him with acrobatics and walking across the bar on his hands. Once he enlisted into the army, there were more chances for him to show off, Around camp, Leonsky would jump at even the briefest mention of a fight and would fly off the handle once he landed the first punch, casting rules aside to, quote, finish him off. His alcoholic tendencies also continued. Leonsky would take on breakfast preparation duties, meaning that after his role was largely complete at 10.30am, he would start drinking. He would make concoctions of beer, whiskey, hot sauce, salt, pepper and milk, and he would down these drinks in front of his mates to show them that he could handle it boy i feel bad i do feel bad that is extreme extents to go to try and impress your friends who probably already like you and they
1: probably were like that's gross
0: and yeah and they probably didn't think any way or you know particular about this guy mm. Bit sad it seemed that eddie was keen to shed his former reputation as a mama's boy and prove himself among his male peers what were these soldiers doing in Australia? How does he, like, does he have nothing to do after breakfast? I think they were just
1: here in case they were needed. I think that was most of the armed forces. Oh,
0: well, Royal Park would have been <coughs> well guarded.
1: Yeah, Royal Park was very safe.
0: <laughs> right. So we just had, him he- had them here, like, indefinitely living in a tent
1: city. Kind of, yeah. That was kind of the vibe. That's kind of shit. Yeah, I think it was pretty shit. Yeah, wartime. Wartime. That's true. mm
0: while his desire for male approval was high, Leonsky didn't really seek female attention or crave companionship from a woman. Rather, he wanted to frighten women. He was known to jump out in front of women in the street, making wild noises in order to scare them. And on one occasion, this had turned into a violent attack. Leonsky had assaulted a woman on the streets of San Antonio, but he never faced any consequences.
1: After his arrest for the three murders, Eddie Leonsky confessed to killing the three women. However, there was some question as to whether he had the mental capacity necessary to manifest the intent for a charge of murder. Eventually, Leonsky was found to be mentally fit enough to face up to his actions. Psychiatrists said that he was sane, but he was under the influence of alcohol at the time of the killings, and that in similar circumstances, there was a risk he would kill again. Before the trial could go ahead, the Australian government was faced with a unique political and legal decision to try Leonski under the laws of Victoria, where the crime was committed, or let the American authorities deal with the matter under U.S. military law. Military law in the U.S. is quite complex, but essentially there is a judicial system which sits outside the mainstream courts which deals with the governance and regulation of the armed forces. Over time, the reach of these courts has ebbed and flowed, differing from wartime to peacetime, but commonly the courts existed to prosecute members of the armed forces for high crimes and misdemeanors, which related directly to their duties as officers, as well as for ordinary crimes, but with different standards of proof or the availability of different methods of punishment. It seems that the US authorities clearly wanted to deal with Leonsky themselves, potentially to send a message to other soldiers posted abroad, so the Australian government handed the matter off to the US authorities, and Leonsky was convicted under US military law. In doing so, the government amended the National Security Regulations so that any U.S. soldier accused of committing a crime in Australia could be tried by American authorities at their request. Evidence of Leonsky's confessions was presented at his trial, which painted the picture of a man who killed without reason. He told of the murder of recent divorcee Ivy McLeod, saying that he walked her home after meeting her at the tram stop on his way home from a night of heavy drinking. She had turned towards him in the doorway and smiled. He put his arm around her before grabbing her by the throat, strangling her and ripping at her clothes. He said that Ivy had a lovely voice and that he wanted it for himself. Leonsky says he met Pauline Thompson after a performance in Melbourne and walked with her back to her apartment on Spring Street. On their way there, Pauline had been singing. Leonsky recalled that she was, quote, singing in my ear and looking in my eyes. He says he embraced her and told her to keep singing before he grabbed her throat and choked her. How could she keep singing, he asked. He met Gladys Hosking on her way home from work as she walked to her boarding house which was adjacent to Camp Pell in Royal Park. He says that she too was singing as they walked through the park. He remarked that Gladys had a lovely voice and that he wanted to get her voice by choking her. He recalls Gladys being a, quote, soft thing, saying that she didn't cry out during the attack. Despite this fascination with female voices, there isn't much else by way of motive for these murders. Leonsky had referred to himself in the past as being like Jekyll and Hyde, having a split personality and switching from a good man into a monster for seemingly no reason at all. One thread connected Leonsky's three victims. They were all women who were in charge of their own lives. Ivy was recently separated and finding herself as a newly single woman. Pauline was a talented performer who traveled to perform across Australia, and Gladys was a woman with an established career. Psychiatrists close to Leonsky during the trial have speculated that Leonsky's true motivations can be found in his deep hatred towards women, which stems from an unconscious resentment of his mother. For this reason, his crimes have been deemed to constitute a symbolic matricide. Matricide is the act of murdering one's own mother. These types of killers are often described by psychiatrists as being the victims of catathymic crises, an unexpected, explosive outburst of impulsive, often destructive behaviour, Understandable only in terms of unconscious motivation. For Leonsky, psychiatrists speculate that this crisis occurred when he enlisted in the armed forces and was posted ten thousand kilometers away from his beloved mother. Leonsky was described as being lonely and heart sick, and was suddenly deprived of comfort and love from his mother. Unconsciously, this separation sparked a change in Leonsky, and he began to resent his mother and developed an urge to kill her. But she was on the other side of the world, so he turned to substitutes. The phenomenon of matricide is not fully understood by psychiatrists, and its symbolic counterpart even less so.
0: On the 17th of July 1942, just two months after Leonsky's final murder, he was sentenced to death by the General Court Martial. American General and Commander of the Southwest Pacific, Douglas MacArthur, affirmed the sentence on the 14th of October. With all legal avenues for appeal exhausted by the 1st of November, the order for Leonsky's execution was created and was carried out just a week later on the 9th of November 1942 at Pentridge Prison in Melbourne's North. From the delivery of his sentence by the court to his execution by the civil hangman, Leonsky had remained in abnormally high spirits. He was nonchalant about his impending death, to an extent that startled prison officials. After two American officials visited him to read him the official document, he told a visitor, quote, they have measured me up and weighed me, so it won't be long now. There are images of Leonsky smiling in the prison yard just days before his execution, and even as he walked to the gallows, he managed to maintain composure, and even found humor as he bid his guard goodbye, saying, quote, so long, pal, they're gonna give me a facelift. At just 24 years of age, Eddie Leonski was executed for the murders of three women. Initially, his remains were temporarily interred at several cemeteries around Australia, before they were permanently interred at the Schofield Barracks Post Cemetery in Hawaii, in a section reserved for prisoners who died in military custody.
1: A lot of psychological things going on here. Yeah, and he is quite young
0: in the, you know general scope of serial killers to have begun serial killing mm. and then to be, like, sentenced to death at 24, He's mm-hmm. only a year older than us. That's true.
1: It does, the whole theory about the, I guess, the crisis event, the separation from his mother, mm. sparking something, it does kind of make sense because while he definitely had been, like, violent towards women in the past, he became much more brazen and almost as though he had the conception that potentially in this other country or because he was a member of the army that the rules didn't apply or something mm. like that. And so suddenly he started to take these urges much further and repeated them over a short period of time.
0: Yeah, he was definitely in a very unique environment, which probably, aside from his, aside from being far from his mother being amongst all these men i think it would have sent a lot of mental narratives spiraling yeah. in his head and yeah really gave him the platform almost to go for it and commit these crimes
1: i think anyone who had some kind of lingering mental health issue would have struggled going into that like war environment oh for sure and there was probably many like way more people that had some kind of like crisis or breakdown Mm. once they were placed into that weird environment so obviously he did horrible things and nothing really excuses that but you can sort of have a little bit of i guess empathy or understanding yeah for the context
0: yeah and these women like they were all middle-aged ish
1: Yeah, they ranged from, like, 31 to, like, 40-ish. Yeah. Yeah.
0: And, like, I'm sure there would have been plenty of young women in Melbourne at that time. So that is to say maybe, like, more evidence to the symbolic matricide Mm. theory that he's Mm -hmm. going for, like, slightly older. Middle-aged
1: women. Yeah. 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 Very interesting. Mm. I found out a lot in the course of this research that, didn't even make it into the episode. Like stuff about the war and stuff about Royal Park and Melbourne and <laughs> yeah, and like there's so there's so much going on tangents. So, there could have been so many tangents. <laughs> yeah, had to reel it in. Yeah, yeah.
0: There's not much more follow up. This case did happen so long ago. That that's it. That's the story. Yeah. Even though it was like brownouts, would they still go out? Oh would yeah. Would it just be like lights off?
1: Yeah. Wow. Yeah, people were going out. I it guess was, like it was like last days on earth vibe. That's true. Think like
0: billboards. That's underground. It's yeah. like a it's like an air raid shelter already.
1: Yeah, true. <laughs> I'd be running down to boards, <laughs> only if there was an air raid. I'm not getting in there any other time. <laughs>
0: <laughs> true, true.
1: Many underground bars and clubs in Melbourne. That's so true. Yeah. I wonder if
0: like is it because of an air raid damn, thing? Damn, I wonder of that? if
1: it was like a brownout thing. Like a if you put them underground. Then no one can them. see you and people will go. That's so strange. Wow. Conspiracy. Damn. Oh, my God. Who knows? Maybe we're onto something. Mm. We'll let you know once we can go to bars again. We might <laughs> we'll visit some. We'll asking around. We'll do a little tour. <laughs> will you build your Drone the brownout? Out? <laughs> no one's going to know what we're no. talking about. They're going <laughs> to be like, drunk. how many have you had tonight, mate? <laughs> <laughs> the brownout. Out. The Brown Out. <laughs> we hope you guys enjoyed this episode. Thank you so much for listening. We'll see you next time as we'll always. We'll see you next time. Sounds good to me. Sound good to you. Sounds good to me. All right. Bye. Bye.